Hello and welcome to the Ford Unto Dawn podcast, the show all about exploring the fiction of the Halo universe. I'm David and I'm joined by my usual co-host Danny. Hidley Hidley. And this week our guest is the Halo subreddit's favorite mod and past guests on episodes 20 and 25, Def Guru. What's up? You know, I think I did that intro on the last two I was on too. I'm pretty sure you did. And no matter how much you try it, I don't think what's up is coming back. I think Well, I think we'll it's see. Dead. Not for lack of try. Uh, so it's been a few months since our last episode, and there's actually been what seems like a flood of new content um, since last we came to you back in 2018. There's no less than two comic series, there are three new novels, and then there's a few interesting bits of news uh, that we won't be covering everything this episode, uh, but look for upcoming episodes on a more regular schedule covering what we missed and what's coming up. Was anyone else surprised by how much stuff we've gotten, given that there's not like a game or anything out? Surprised? It seems like we need to fill the void somehow. Keep us, keep us going. I guess. I'm just, just surprised. Like we're getting, we're getting like two novels. We've been getting two novels on occasion from the same author in a year. It's kind of. Well, I don't know. These things kind of ebb and flow. I'm sure. It may, if we had access to like what's going on behind the scenes, it would make sense why we're seeing more right now. Um, well, let's just say not everyone was, was happy with the direction of Halo 5's story. And Infinity with what they're going for, at least the nostalgia bones seem to be tackling. I think they're just trying to get all their, their story done sooner when they're going. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure that like the collateral damage in Silent Storm, specifically with, uh, you know, subtitling a, a Master Chief story is to basically show that they're going by their statements or doubling back down on the Master Chief after, you know, not sidelining him a little bit in Halo 5. This, this this seems more of a case that they're trying to appease those fans who think that their favorite character is going to get dropped by the wayside. Uh-huh. Uh, going forward, so as we have we have the return of favorites, lots of them, you know, it's this is a fan thing, really. It's just to keep the field going, I think, and to uh, just to make sure that they don't think that the company at 343 are losing sight of the expanded universe if they're going to narrow the focus back down in the next game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. So, um, before we get to our main topic, uh, there's a few news items I thought would be worth discussing. Um, and the first concerns our favorite piece of Halo-themed vaporware, the Steven Spielberg-produced Halo TV series, that if you have long memories you'll know that that was announced alongside the xbox one back in 2013 so we got a long period of no news um and then except it's not dead occasionally Uh, honestly that tv (laughs) announcement was the best thing about the reveal well it's the only thing that's still like in force because they went back and redid everything else the os is completely different it's not always on that's a really good point Like, uh, but yeah, we got some we got some meat at least. Now we know it's it's actually going ahead. We yeah. know the main showrunners. We actually have an idea of what they want to do with it in terms of the broad outline. So yeah, it's yeah. it's heating up. So, it's actually becoming tangible. Yeah. So the which last is a surprising thing. The last uh, news we'd gotten was that it was going into production finally in 2019 uh, for a release in 2020, uh, and it lost its previous director Rupert Watt Wyatt. Uh, but the latest news is that 
they have an episode count, so it's going to be nine episodes um, and a new director, Otto Bathurst. Which that's one episode less than they originally said, right? I don't know if they specifically <laughs> gave numbers before. I think I saw the number 10 thrown around, but I, I'll be honest, with how rare news is, it's hard to tell what's just rumor <laughs> and what's actual news. I saw this thing on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Are you so, telling me Halo? Are you telling me Halo follower lied to me? <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't. I wasn't actually familiar with this director. Um. So I looked him up on IMDb. Uh, he's directed episodes of the upcoming His Dark Materials adaptation. Uh, which, if you maybe remember, it, they got a really kind of bad film adaptation before. Now they're doing it as a miniseries. Uh, then there's Peaky Blinders, Black Mirror, and then the Robin Hood adaptation with Jamie Foxx. I don't think oh, anyone watched. Black, well, what uh, what Black Mirror episode is that? Uh, the one with the the bang in the pig. Oh, he did the initial one, the, the very first episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I I love that. That was that was dark. That episode. <laughs> Macy, I, I haven't uh, seen Black Mirror. I was under the impression just by like the one or two podcasts I listened to that that was like a bad episode and was uh, particularly a bad I mean, first episode. But it, I think it depends really on what you like in TV and what you like in Black Mirror, because honestly, I appreciate that more than a lot of Black Mirror because there's really nothing that futuristic about it. Uh-huh. It's just like dealing yeah. with what reality is now. And it doesn't have like a lot of Black Mirror episodes are like Twilight Zone except badly done and like everything is terrible that's why everyone's favorite episode is the one episode with the two lesbians who end up together and it's a happy ending at the end like that's the only episode people really love because it's not like terrible and depressing and weird so this guy basically predicted predicted the the prime minister the former prime minister as well oh yeah that's true reality Infection blended together for an absurd news headline. Yeah. Oh, good lord. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, anyway, I had um I had expressed my opinion that I had thought that it was a you know not the best ep- episode, but uh a lot of people got back to me on Twitter said no they considered it a really good one and uh modern classic. So I guess yeah, I had the wrong it, impression. I think it's up and down. It's definitely stronger. It's definitely one of the stronger episodes. It's just the subject matter is so deliberately shocking and out there that it sort of detaches you in terms of like accepting the initial premise. Oh, no, I'm sure. <laughs> it, it wins you. It definitely, it definitely wins you. They straight lace it, you know, they, they take it very seriously. And oh yeah. It's, it's well-written. So I was like, wow, they, they pulled that one off. Okay. Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's, if, if that is as good as, uh, it's, uh, champions are saying, I'm hoping that's a more, more indicative of his quality of directing than the Robin Hood movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't think oh, it really, yeah. It's one of those things. As much as I like complaining about Neil Blomkamp and so happy that we didn't get the Halo movie he wanted to make, like it's it's what the director it's it's a whole team effort. So I don't think one yeah. way or another it tells you much. Yeah, that I'm is true. We never got the uh, the Alien film he was going to do. That made me sad. But anyway, who knows? We know this is going to be during the the Covenant War. No big surprise there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's been some casting stuff come out, but honestly, I don't really care that much about it. If I really wanted all the spoilers, I think the only casting has been like for maybe original characters. I know they've said that the Master Chief and Doctor Halsey are going to be in it, but I don't think they've said anything about casting for them. Yeah. So I mean, it's news. It looks like it's actually happening. So I'm excited for that. 
they're they're kind of Hooray. one for two on live action adaptations. So we'll see how this goes. The Mountains do work together with Ridley Scott and produce a stinker, so don't hold your breath. <laughs> well, Ridley Scott has clearly been doing well on that front himself. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder what the what the budget's like for the, the show, because that will really tell you about the quality of the visual effects, and Halo is going to be really strong on the visual effects. Well, I think Showtime has said that they have high hopes for the project and this could just be you know bluster and talking it up but they want halo to be their game of thrones so hopefully that may if they throw some serious support behind it, it we could get some quality stuff from it yeah i'm just glad it didn't land on hbo i went while i see master chief's dinger <laughs> <laughs> you don't see his face but you see his dinger all right oh yeah butt shots <laughs> hbo without nipples to cortana you know and that would be game over oh my god Okay, so the other bit, of, big bit of Halo news is uh, Halo Outpost Discovery, which seems to be sort of the spiritual successor to Halo Fest in a way. It's a traveling show. It's coming to Orlando, Philly, Chicago, Houston, and Anaheim. Uh, so sorry. So fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, and fuck me. That's great. Yes, yeah, sorry, non-US people. Well, I mean, even for US, uh, I think it's about. A de- dead even split between Chicago or and Houston was it, but uh, I, I don't know. Those are like six hour drives for me either way. Yeah, it'd be a hour hour and a half drive for me to Philly. I've got a really long <laughs> Philly versus New York. I don't know. I guess it comes down to what space they can get for how cheap. But they're coming on dates between July fifth and September first this summer. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting that it's a blend of in and out of universe content. So there's the Hall of History, which is kind of like a takeoff of the from the Museum of Humanity from the Halo Three Believe campaign. Mm-hmm. And I think they they uh, confirm that they're working with some of the same people uh, from that. And then there's some sort of audiovisual exploration of a Halo ring, uh, Covenant themed escape room, laser tag, VR, target ranges, and more. Um, and in-universe, it's supposed to be like a mobile UNSC recruitment tool. And what I f- think is really interesting is that 343 is really not hiding the fact that they want this to be like a bring along your friends and family and turn them on to Halo kind of experience. That that specifically seems like what the whole point of this is. Well, I mean, conventions are... I actually don't know how much money uh, even big conventions bring in, but I'm sure that like one of the primary for primary uh, advertising has to be an aspect of it. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I wish them well. I hope we get a Halo Fest two or whatever for the twentieth anniversary. Well, but, but I know uh, I got now I, I got napkin from Halo Fest. <laughs> a signed napkin. Where did you get a signed napkin? Because someone who went there was nice and got the people there to sign the napkin for me, and then they sent me the napkin. <laughs> Did you frame it? It was really nice. Yes. <laughs> All right, we have to take a picture so we can put that in the show notes. I want to see this oh, napkin. Oh God, no! Uh, I'll yeah. take it out sometime. Yeah. but I, I know putting together uh, conventions and you know th- uh, big uh, big things like this is difficult. So I'm hoping that. Uh, this is three four three testing the waters, and if it does well, hopefully we can maybe get more locations and more international locations. Maybe, yeah, that would definitely be cool for 
for those who cannot easily go to these locations. I'll never see one. <laughs> the UK might get one in London. Well, oh, that's no, you did get great. Yeah. The UK did have... Um, was it the UK? Or was it Germany? There was... Oh, we're the same thing anyway. No, same for, difference. For Close Halo enough. 4 or... It, I mean, it was unique just because... I mean, especially Halo is a specifically seen as an American-centric franchise. Um, and, now we're in a, and now we're in a post-Brexit world. <laughs> it's true. Let's not get into that. So are we going to be more supportive or less supportive of Halo because of Brexit? <sighs> I don't know how that works out. But no, it was... Maybe it was in Cologne. I don't know. Maybe I'm mixing up something in... But there was like for either Halo 4 or Halo 5, it was like a, a fan experience, like... Yeah, it was like a wee castle and like obstacle course and like flares and stuff. It looked really lame. I remember it sounded terrible. I think there was, I think there was quads maybe and dirt. There was lots of dirt. I remember dirt, pictures of dirt. Uh, someone can, someone listens to this, they can angrily yell at us on Twitter about what it was. But, um, don't yell at me. Wait, people listen. Occasionally, uh, the only other. So there's the in-universe conceit. Um, and the other interesting thing is that they have two new Spartan 3s uh, who factor into it somehow. Um, Owen and Hazel. Technically one is new. Yes, true. Owen is Owen is from uh, one of the new Halo novels out, uh, Battleborn. Yeah. Uh, which came out earlier this year, and we'll talk about another episode some other time. This might be a recurring theme later on, but yeah. Spartans are campsters these days. Just turn your back and you get like five more of them. Well, Anyhow, that's coming. I'll see if I go to it. I'll see how it all works out. Leaving aside that, the main topic of discussion we dragged Def Guru here to for today is the novel Halo Bad Blood, uh, which was released in June 2018. We're just a little bit behind on our Yes, we are a little bit behind, but we are just going to catch it's up. Like, oh, it's it's new ish. It is new ish. You're only three novels behind, you know? It's going to take. It's going to take two years before Duststorm gets to it on his podcast. So I feel fine. Um, if we skip over the bad ones, then we won't have as many. <laughs> oh, there's not, I don't know if there's any bad ones between Bad Blood and this one. I've, I haven't gotten to Renegades yet, but a lot of people are really talking it up. Yeah, and we're going to have... Uh, we're going to talk I about that I thought we were next. talking about it today. I rushed to finish that yesterday, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we will talk about it soon. Bad Blood is written by Matt Forbeck, uh, who, along with Troy Denning, seems to be one of the, the main Halo authors these days. Um, sort of getting Troy a stable. Denning's a good guy. So does this guy. I, I, I like these guys. If there's a third one by now, it might be Kelly Gay. Yeah, I mean, Kelly Gay might be stepping up to be the, the third person. But So Forbeck wrote Legacy of Onyx, uh, a short story in Halo Fractures, and then the predecessor to the story, uh, which was a novella, I don't think it was the full novel, uh, New Blood. I guess before we dive in, anyone have any opening statements about this book? If you don't like fan service, get the fuck out right now. <laughs> well, I I don't know. I feel like it balances out since New Blood was kind of the opposite of fan service. Ah, uh, this let's not post review that book. No, no, I love I love I love New Blood, but it does not ca- it does not care about pleasing fans necessarily. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. No, that's that's definitely yeah. And in some ways this this kind of walks back it maybe. Um mm-hmm. but it's interesting in that this book I wouldn't say it is the three four three's equivalent of first strike, but it's the first part of it actually is sort of serving that, that role. Um 
because we know Halo 5 is going to take place. There's going to be another time skip. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not going to be immediately leading off of, or Halo Infinite is going to be, there's going to be a time skip between Halo 5 and Halo Infinite. So this sort of fills in some of the details. It explains how uh, everyone gets to saying Helios at the end of Halo 5. Was it it 2560 was the year people were extrapolating from the Infinite trailer? Yeah, I believe that was it. So, like, it's going to be, like, another 18 months or something like that. Uh, I, w- I would prefer a longer time skip. I don't like these immediately thereafter sort of things at all. I like That's not my kind of favorite jump. I feel like it doesn't really matter because they had a giant, huge time skip between Halo 3 and Halo 4 and then didn't do a lot with it. So... <laughs> They're kind of using they're kind of using that as a place to like fill in a lot of uh, stories because that's where that's primarily where a lot of the novels since three for three's taken over has taken place. It seems. Yeah, it's in that space. Like uh, Renegades, which we'll talk about again, uh, takes place concurrently with Halo Four to right after. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it starts out with Buck basically explaining all of Halo Five. <laughs> Which will be, we'll talk about in Renegades too, it's a, I definitely think is something of the, how do you make, because there's a freaking lot of novels. I didn't realize until I looked down at a list recently that we're up to the 20s. <laughs> like, they clearly won. But, but serious, serious question, who the fuck's reading this doesn't play Halo 5? I want to I know mean, who weird people weird, are. it's weird, and I don't think it's really supposed to be, like, the book, like, when we talk about Silent Storm, I think we'll get into that, how that is clearly much more of a, hey, if you're interested in Halo, grab this book kind of thing. But they, they, they seem to be, between this Renegade, Silent Storm, they seem to be trying to to make the books a little more accessible, um, which I think is fine. New Blood summarized ODST, too. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. It seems to be a staple of any book Buck's in. The, the benefit of being summarized is we get it in buck's voice and i think that overall between this book and the other book mac forbeck does a pretty good job of capturing buck's voice and so it's it's entertaining it's fine if you find buck entertaining well yeah there there i know there's this huge contingent that was happy about this book because they think he's going to be gone from infinite or whatever and if osiris comes back thorn will come in and one can only hope one can only hope i thought the excitement was that osiris was going to be out completely and this was indicative of that there was there was multiple (laughs) multiple takes of people reading a lot into this yeah Um, which you know (laughs) i would i I wouldn't mind more halo without nathan fillion i I prefer that way i mean i do think he's he's best in limited quantities i think he was fine in halo 5 because he was not trying to control he was not trying to anchor the narrative and he was fine in odst because it was a shorter game uh that was and um uh, i mean they only got philly in for five because he had an opening in his schedule right yeah i think something like that it was one of those things where yeah yeah it just all worked out thorn's actor i think was unavailable too so it was just the scheduling thing that worked out for them so it's possible we won't have him in mm-hmm. the future but either way, this novel would explain why. Because um, it starts up basically immediately after the the end Halo 5 cutscene. And Blue Team and Osiris fight the soldiers remaining uh, to find a ship off Genesis. And basically, uh, Ebullient Prism chucks them through a slip space portal to, to Sanghelios. So, 
kind of sad that I don't know if we're going to see Prism again. Or not, why am I saying Boolean Prism? God. I'm <laughs> I suddenly, I've got my monitor from the totally terrible Spartan Black comic miniseries from Marvel. That I, uh, what's her name again? Uh, exuberant Witness. Exuberant Witness. Yeah, man. Hashtag Team Black getting killed off in the comics was totally fine. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm going to be sad that if we don't see her again, because I do think that was one thing everyone really liked about Halo Five. Um, I know that some of the some of the people like real that really analyze uh, the multiplayer being canon with that um, voice pack or something that has uh, Exuberant Witness being a multiplayer announcer. Yeah, that she links up with them at some point. Which would be that, nice. that's the implication. I don't know how much stock to put that in that personally, but you know. Yeah. Anyone trying to hook up multiplayer to the worst playing a Phil's game, man, that's that's just including three four three insanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with. There's nothing wrong with using order to enrich multiplayer content, but just draw the line. Like, geez, you, you know what's not going to make sense. Remember the old Halo Three armor stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, all these different companies doing all these different things. It didn't really make sense. Yeah, that's the as goofy as some of the armor variants in Halo Four and Five are. It at least makes a lot more sense than it did in Halo Three. That all it's like basically all these offshoots of companies once the Spartans became widespread versus Halo Three when yeah they were all supposed to be identical and stuff. And I, I don't think if you take the Halo 5 uh, weapon stuff, you can't take that seriously. It just, it just dilutes everything. Are you telling me that there's no chance the Master Chief is going to have a French fry-covered assault rifle? It was also like, I know when they made that, um, what, that Needler Warthog or something for Rocket League, they did it like, a, they tied it into canon by saying it was like some employee's like wild, crazy vision for the vehicle. Oh yeah, forgot about that. So it could be something like that where it's more conceptual and not necessarily hasn't actually appeared in the multiplayer too. Yeah. I don't really care about the lore aspects of that stuff. I'm happy that they have the the freedom just to say they have to do this anyway and just make up some BS after the fact. I like that. So I mean, I, I'm fine with them having some fun, you know. Yeah, I think it's fine. One thing that this this early section on Genesis gives us that wasn't really in the game is blue team and osiris actually interacting which is interesting how would you expect to find that in the game like <laughs> yeah i mean it's kind of a hunt and then all right we gotta do stuff so this they actually get a little more to do and in what starts actually a trend for this book uh linda gets her action hero jump on the pelican they're riding out um and there's a lot of like a lot of jump onto moving vehicles in this this novel there there are <laughs> So dynamic, it makes it feel like the, the text is moving, guys. Come on, feel it. Five minutes later, they reach San Helios, which <laughs> I know they talk about how there are Forerunner drives now and Forerunner portals are super fast and stuff, but I still wish they would cool it with making everything a couple hours away from each other. That's, I don't know. This I, know, I realize like the whole uh, slip space travel being harder for humans is like a key part of like the Halo background. But I mean, even Bun- even in Bungie era, they played that fast and loose. Like if they, they needed people to move around fast in Ghost of Onyx, they gave that kind of excuse about the f- Halo rings being on standby, making slip space travel faster. Yeah, and then well, I mean, and then there's the whole setup of Halo Three where they have this explanation of 
So Truth was super excited to get to Earth, so he just dropped out and took months to travel into the system or whatever. Please don't get me started on the Prophet of Truth. I could rant for an entire podcast about how the writing fell apart on that. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Although, if you've read the the uh, Waypoint History of Halo article, that explains a whole lot. And we did a podcast on that, so look in the archives. Uh, basically, Halo 3 had no one running the ship. And that's why it is the way it was. <laughs> so anyway, they end up back on Sanghelios, and the power's out because a guardian nuked everything, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And Vale guesses that they'll have fled into the hills, basically, because that was where their ancestral homes are and stuff. Um, and so it doesn't take long for they uh, hook up with Halsey Palmer and the Arbiter, and we get that resolution to the Halo 5 end cutscene. Yeah. I do really like that it, it it doesn't show us this because, well, but they, they don't show it, but it is cool that there's like, yeah, the Arbiter and the Master Chief got a minute to catch up and be yeah, bros. that was actually, and I, like, yeah, I wish there was more of that, but I appreciated that it just happened, even, because it doesn't really make sense that Buck would be there. <laughs> It'd be kind of funny. Well, unless like, he's a, unless they added the personality to him in this book that he's a creeper. <laughs> I really wanted to know what they were thinking. No, um, so yeah, they, they have they have a camp out um and and eat elite foods and uh Master Chief and Arbiter catch up, uh bro it out, um, Buck pines for Veronica. And that's one of the things I definitely appreciate about New Blood and Bad Blood is that they make Buck and Veronica's relationship into a real relationship, whereas it was more just witty banter. Uh, in ODST. Comic book film sort of banter, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that that was fine for ODST, but it was good that they've they've developed it a lot more. Because um, mm-hmm. it makes him into a natural human being. Shocking. Yeah, I'd say their relationship is probably one of Forbeck's uh, stronger suits in both of these books. Yeah, and so we learn that Halsey has already figured out how to contact Infinity, which is, once again, kind of annoying. Like, you're going to have this time jump, like, you don't have to make it this fast, but basically because they're still freaked out about the guardians, they have to hit this rendezvous and Infinity's going to jump in, pick them up and then get the hell out. I mean, since the last time I was with you guys, I've um, helped um, after bang another uh, Halo uh, Reddit mod with his timeline. And so I was reading this book and like taking timeline notes for like when stuff happened and this, without any, like, hard dates, there's really nothing to indicate that this whole book doesn't take place over the course of just, like, a couple days. Yeah, I think there's, at one point, there's a couple of, oh, we have super fast slip stuff, so this only took hours. And there's one point where they mention it taking slightly longer. But, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty quick, and there's no hard time it's, frames. Which is interesting, it's, it's because really... I read this, if you read Halo Renegades... It has super short chapters where every single point of view changes and they give you times for everything. So it's interesting that this book, in the meantime, doesn't. That's kind of, it sounds a lot like what a Escalation did, where it gave you like a time stamp every couple pages, even if it's just a difference of a few minutes. <laughs> uh, remember Escalation. I remember parts of it fondly. <laughs> yeah, like there, really was, there were some on. good stories. Some weak ones, but... Here it is. Yeah. A couple large, weak ones. Yeah. yeah. Fans of of Halsey bashing, you get your your requisite 
complaint that the Queen of Spades in the Game of Hearts, which has lasted to the 26th century, is called a Halsey. <laughs> and uh, one of the uh, more interesting things is that we get uh, we get clarification that the Guardian's EMP pulse basically doesn't work on a planetary scale. That was uh, the attenuation wave. That was disappointing. It only does like half a planet. I mean, like two guardians per planet. If you want a global effect, and they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be system patrollers. That's their function. They patrol a system. I mean, you knock one and side out, very... you can knock the other one out, and it's through time. It doesn't make that much of a difference. And and we know now it travels at about the speed of light as well. It's not like some kind of super thing. It's just a boring flash of light. Well, I mean the. I mean, the, what what electronics it even affects is kind of wishy-washy because we saw this in Halo 5. It didn't shut down Mjolnir or weapons, and it even, yeah. address, it, it even addresses that in Legacy of Onyx where once the uh, Guardian EMP wave on Onyx goes off, um, Dural activates his energy sort of like, oh, weapons are foreign. Yeah, which is annoying, but I get that they had to do it because as this book specifically brings up, like, oh, I would be crushed in my super heavy set of armor where I can't do anything, and that would be a, an interesting story. Um, so yeah, it has it has limits. Uh. So basically they get they get to the Infinity, and they, the Infinity bugs out because they're still on the run. Um, and on board Infinity is Veronica Dare, and she's got a mission for Buck. Just happens to be on the Infinity. Just, yep, yeah, there's... there's that's where I think they Come on. they hit the chances of her hopping right at the same time as everyone else. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's I feel like one too many contrivances to to make everything in this this book work. Like yes, there, definitely. There's there's three or four of them, and if they had just had like two or three, I think it would have worked a little bit better. Um, yeah, I can see that. Especially since once again, you have time. You have all the time in the world to like just mm-hmm. make certain parts take longer in universe and just skip over it in the book. But that's so they really, really wanted this plot to happen and it was gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, and what it requires is uh getting getting the band back together, getting Alpha Nine back together. Uh, oh, be- I'm sick of that phrase. God that phrase <laughs> kept pounding away the entire time of the book. My God. Well, it's just mm. reality that some people only have one cliche way of talking about things. How else are they going to win the international glo- global battle of the bands? Well, uh, as the humans say. Oh, fuck right off. <laughs> There's a oh. nice bit about uh, Buck like questioning whether he wants to do this job, basically. Um, mm-hmm. and he goes to what I think is supposed to be the same place that Chief has his his moment with Lasky. That's how I envision it. At the it. end of Halo 4, yeah, looking out on things. Um, so, that was nice. So, I, I think unsurprisingly, I, I think one like of the interesting Romeo things that this book also does yeah, it's, in his defense. Like, he's just kind of a jerk for no good reason, and ODST even, and... Like, I understand why he does not want to work with him again, let alone work with the guy who betrayed him. And one of the interesting things that this book brings out is he really hates Mickey almost because he's the one he liked. That's what makes his betrayal that much worse. He's like, if it was Romeo, like, I would have been totally fine. Like, oh, what an asshole, and be done with it. But it was the one I liked on the team. There's Ugh. a really comical logic to that. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
so basically the point is they have to bust out they have to bust out Mickey because he's got a link with the United Rebel Front and that's basically all right we're back to square one we got to go back working with the insurrectionists because we're we're back to the covenant war status quo existential threat it's not like they have any other assets in their vast industrial military complex that they could have used. Well, I mean, it it's be. everyone else is working on other stuff. This is their their job. Um, and so first they're going to have to pick up people, and so first they head off to Bahalo, homeland of the Grunts, to pick up Romeo. That was actually fun. Yeah, it's the whole the Grunts homeworld was like, holy shit! Yeah, I want this. Yeah, I, didn't, and, I did not expect it. Yeah, and huh. it's it's interesting we finally get real descriptions of a hollow. Um once again in the like what is the time frame of this? The grunts already have goblins uh on loan from Cortana because they've accepted Cortana's well, they offer. Already, the lore on goblins is a little weird. They clearly had goblins before because they had goblins in um Envoy, which mm-hmm. take place before Halo five. Yeah. It's it's they're kind of backfilled it and not particularly well but um and basically romeo got sent here because unsurprisingly he's a jerk and so they sent him to a methane filled place with yeah which i appreciated and like this book makes pretty clear like it totally makes sense that the grunts are allied with cortana because they get the short end of the stick every other time um they're they're spineless that's their character and now they can be on top of the food nipple. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things I really like about this is in setting up what is another recurring motif in this, everyone's got the mission and then there's the mission beyond the mission. And Romeo gets picked up because uh, he's the uh, console. It was basically put under siege when Cortana took over um, and they pick him up and they're like, all right, we're going to leave. And he's like, no, wait. I got to rescue the rest of the diplomatic crew. And they're like, well, we're, that's not really our mission. He's like, no, but we have to do this. And so they, they go to do that and it fails horribly. <laughs> which, there, I, yeah. which is one of those things where you're like, all right, well, they're going to spend this time like going back to save these, these nameless people who I think we only get the name of one character. Um, that's right. And then they just get blown up. <laughs> the one the one benefit for it is it does kind of show a softer side of Romeo. Like he did care about like protecting them and he was, you know, upset that they died, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I appreciated this like with I think the last time they had some like just oh, not how you thought this was going to go was an envoy where they introduce the uh who's it the governor's uh son and then the very next chapter is him getting wasted by some brutes mm. you're like oh this isn't going to set up anything at all like, oh wait you thought they're like oh there was going to be this whole thing where they have to rescue the kid and nope dead so i appreciate it rescue his cor- they had to rescue his corpse <laughs> yeah so they fail at romeo's mission but they evacuate successfully on can we talk about one of the grunts uh moons being called pad pad <laughs> They like their their repeating <laughs> syllables. What can you say? It's a thing. I get it. <laughs> Anyhow, so they evacuate Valhalla, and they're off to the next part, uh, which is uh, Earth's solar system, our solar system, uh, because there is a secret facility on the dark side of the moon where 
uh, Virgil, our friendly engineer from ODST, is hanging out with his handler, Sadie. It's right next to where the Transformers ship crashed in the third Transformers movie. <laughs> oh, man. I love that movie, <laughs> unabashedly, just because it's so entertainingly bad. Is it bad that I don't like how they force this ODST reading feels? Yeah, that that goes into the, the quinkitinks. Um, but I like, I appreciate, I like my engineers, and I appreciate that they basically get there, and it's been zapped, just like everything else. Yeah, I think that was personally my favorite, uh, piece of setting building was just like how fucked the moon got yeah and they don't know if they're going to be going in and everyone's going to be dead because yeah. like, and it turns out they're basically most of the places out of power out of air um but the engineers are all okay but once again virgil's fine coming along but it gotta save sadie um and the rest of the humans who are getting carted off so they have to do another mission to grab her and they in rare form they blow out uh the glass um to basically suck all the soldiers that are escorting the hostages um are well, i don't think they'd be really they'd be equipped for that i mean i guess the, i don't i don't think that would have stopped them honestly well the guess the question is why can't they just keep on teleporting back in um mm-hmm. i don't know how that works but it was a cool no. little set piece and <laughs> This time they don't actually get everyone killed, which is nice. But they do kind of like. To be fair, they arrive when everyone was already killed. They're a bit late. Well, uh, well, they party. save everyone who's left. How about that? And Virgil and That's Sadie come enough. along with them, and everyone else basically goes to chill with the engineers and hide it out. Get the band back together. They were able to save like point oh 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 five percent of the moon's population. <laughs> I feel bad for. I mean, I guess they're safe in that they'll restore power and stuff and hide, but. Like, is this part of the whole war crimes thing that Cortana started starting to rack up the body count now? Pretty much. We put some figures on it now because uh, there's a lot of murder, a lot of death in this book that we see directly because of uh, the Halo 5. Yeah, and they, they specifically now. also mention, like Buck mentions, like, well, Earth got hit. And, like, there were probably a lot of people in those ships who did not make it. Um, Yeah, the total gets I mean, we, we still don't know if Sydney got blown up or not. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, so with now that they've got Sadie and Virgil, they explain what exactly they need Virgil for, which is breaking out Mickey. Um, because there is a planet that is held by the insurrectionists that the UNSC is known for about that basically is hidden by some sort of for forerunner MacGuffin. And they're like, hey, Such this technology would be really useful now that we have Cortana trying to blow stuff up um, on the planet called Freedom. Just when, they, just, when, just when they need cloaking technology. Oh, shit, cloaking technology. Wow. Well, and they, they this is one of those coincidences that they handle well. So they point out, like, hey, it was kind of stupid you guys didn't use this later. I'm like, yeah. Like, admittedly, Oni was more focused on making things explode or something than the stealth technology. Well, I thought, yeah, I don't remember exactly what Dare's explanation was, but I mean, Oni knew about that for a while and was using it to, uh, weren't they using it to like hide some assets there during the Covenant War or something? Yeah, they were basically using it as they they put it, like actually figuring out how it worked low on the totem pole, which I can understand when you're trying to find all the weapons of mass destruction the foreigners left behind that it would get bumped down the priority list. And you also, you still have Trevelyan to explore forever 
So it's like, oh yes, we we had this MacGuffin, but we knew about it in the past. We didn't mention it in the past, but we're mentioning it now that we knew it in the past, so that we knew about it and we have Retroactive it. Retroactive continuity. <laughs> but one thing I think was actually funny uh, reading uh, the Renegades was the use of cloaking technology being a central MacGuffin in different uh, different circumstances in both books. You know, so I want to return to that whenever we discuss Renegades. Yeah, and hopefully I'll have it done by then. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they explain this whole thing. Uh, Sadie is not super happy about working with the Rebel Front, which will come up later. <laughs> um, but now they're going to use Virgil to bust Mickey out of the Spartan 4 training facility, which they left to mom, which, once again, kind of funny and coincidence, but on the other hand, they make the good point of you probably want to lock away the obvious example of how the Spartan program, Spartan four program is not so great uh, somewhere that they won't find it. And apparently the Spartan four facility is super secret and no one really knows about it. And for whatever reason, it's apparently cut off from things and they think that the AI Leonidas is working with Cortana, but they aren't sure. Turns out, whoops. Yeah. They, they don't, it becomes pretty quickly. I mean, that's, they don't, there's some question about it, but they, they make it pretty clear from the get-go that he's probably working for Cortana. So the tension from these scenes is interesting. It comes, it's kind of like the, you know, the bomb is there, you're waiting for it to go off. You know that they're going to have to confront him at some point. It's just how long Buck can get away with acting like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Let's, I'm just here to see a prisoner. And it's one of those things where you just have to act under the assumption that it has happened, too. Yeah. There's no real opportunity to go like, hey, Leonidas, are you evil? And basically, they decide, all right, well, it's going to be suspicious to Leonidas if you go in more. So we're just going to send Buck in um, alone. And he gets some, he gets some, uh, Virgil does some bad comedy uh, in this sequence and some verbal sparring. Buck waltzes his way into the brig and finds mickey and here the other interesting thing is we get so he he was hurt by mickey's betrayal because he liked mickey and thought that romeo was the asshole he'd been fine with the other interesting thing is that it doesn't seem like buck particularly cares about the politics of it like if if mickey had decided all right well i think the unsc is doing bad stuff and walked off he'd been fine with it more or less, it was that he betrayed him that really gets to it, which is an interesting wrinkle. Mickey totally gets under his skin, and he stomps off. <laughs> but not before giving a hint about why he's there. Yeah. Um, so he basically, uh, they figure out that they have to disable Leonidas somehow, because he's probably not going to let him just waltz out. Um, and the one uh, thing that I liked about this sequence was they they i mean it's kind of understood just because they're always in the data crystals but they they make it clear that you can't really just email ais they're too big for that you have to have put them they have to put them in a zip folder <laughs> stick them on a usb pen and you have to pay for the pro version because otherwise you can't fit it in the yeah um so they have to basically they find out all right well he's basically in the entire system, but he's residing in this crystal. So you have to find his, his data chip. Um, and so basically they, he goes to the command center and Leonidas, they've 
have this little moment where it's like, hey, I would like to see June. And you're like, oh, June can't see you now. I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> um, and then he frankly says, well, actually, Buck's gone rogue. Everyone freak out. And when that doesn't work, he tries to kill everyone by evacuating the air, um, which kills two unfortunate Spartan force. But uh, Buck manages to destroy Leonidas's chip. But now everyone thinks that he's a rogue Spartan and he has to run back to uh, where Mickey is and they have to fight their way out. And he is assisted by final ridiculous coincidence, Gretchen and uh, Dutch. Now (sighs) just happened to be there who are now Spartan force. Now the criticism that that is a coincidence is very valid. I'm not going to argue that, but in the moment of reading it and seeing Dutch and Gretchen, I was like, Ooh, and I mean, once again, like, it's it, the coincidence is the coincidence of what you do with it. And I think, mm-hmm. once again, Gretchen was basically a non-existent character. Uh, she appeared in Hail Jumper and mm-hmm. a little bit in uh, in New Blood. But she basically didn't really exist in any substantial way. And she's still on the periphery in here. But um, basically, Dutch explains why they became Spartan Fours as, yeah, our marriage would not have lasted civilian life. <laughs> and uh, this is a couple like it's horny only whenever they're in they come back from fighting i mean basically it's 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 something else that this book grapples with with uh veronica and buck is the the fact that they might not be as screwed up as the spartans but career military like that's what they know and it's kind of hard to leave that and it's i feel like there's a lot more of a somber story uh if we ever got like a short story about like dutch and gretchen's like failed marriage <laughs> about how he doesn't want to be a long-haul trucker, damn it. Well, I, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of, I don't know if either of you ever played L.A. Noir, but uh, part of the uh, plot of that is that the main character gets into an affair because he can't, cause after coming back from World War II, he basically can't really relate to his old life and his wife anymore just because of what he's been through. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting aspect to, there's an interesting aspect there to explore somewhere, but it might be a bit too somber for Halo. Yeah, so I appreciated, while it was a coincidence, I at least liked that they gave it more of a, a emotional underpinning. Besides, yeah, we're Spartans now, because that works for this this story. And so they they bug out again. Uh, June turns out to be alive, just incognito, or was disabled by Leonidas. Um, and they are apparently going to evacuate the facility now that Leonidas is gone, which my question there was, but where are you guys going? Um I guess maybe that they they hook up with Infinity somehow, but it's there's a lot of all right. Our Condor is leaving. Uh, good luck with what's going on. Um, but but we need your help. Goodbye. Yeah, there's and I mean <laughs> I appreciate that at the same time because this is this is very much Dare's op and it's need to know. And if it's not essential to the mission, we're really not going to worry about it. Which is it's I appreciate that it's it's a more utilitarian jerkiness of oni whereas usually they're just jerks to be jerks it's here it's like well this mission either gets done or it doesn't and it's really important and sorry everything else is secondary and that's always that's and forbeck keeps that pretty consistent between uh bad and new blood because uh i remember specifically in new blood like they're recovering that information dare's like oh nobody's gonna save that odst group don't worry about it Uh, but buck says no i'm gonna go save them um so everyone's brought up to speed. We get more hashing out of... They actually spend a lot of time. And this is really the first time, I want to say, since 
like Fall of Reach, Ghost of Onyx stuff, that they actually spend a lot of time hashing out the UNSC insurrectionist politics in a, a tangible way. Um, there's some of that in the Kilo Five trilogy, but it's it's a lot more this remote. There's a little bit of that in like Last Light, I think maybe. Yeah, a little. Well, the Last Light wasn't really about the insurrection so much as like basically just bureaucracy and politics, which right. I appreciated about it. Um, so they're heading to the hole in the wall, which is the the single city on this uh, planet, which they describe several ways. Cybell something. Um, they well, they also yeah they name it like. What was it, Cybell, and then the other one was like Erebus or something? No, that's not right. Uh, I wrote it down somewhere. But either way, they're heading to this uh, foreigner planet with the the insurrectionist thing, and basically they want Mickey to act as the, hey, don't shoot us immediately because we got this guy, and Mickey, understandably, doesn't think that's a great idea. And one of the interesting things here, though, is that they actually they finally get, I mean, they point out, Mickey, you don't really have a choice, but he he makes the germane point, well, like, Oh well, this actually makes sense in some ways because you aren't really fighting a war against Cortana; you're fighting an insurgency, uh, which I kind of hope that Infinite and the other books go into more because yeah, you can't really just take on the foreigner stuff directly. It, it's almost like what they did in Gears of War three, where they're like, "We're all stranded now." <laughs> yeah, um, and on the way to the colony, Veronica and Buck have a heart to heart. About Mowage. Um, <laughs> and just the, like, yeah, what is it like? What does it mean, like, if we're going to be fighting this war indefinitely where we could die anymore? Uh, what are the terms of our relationship? They head to the, the colony. Um, there's Mayor Juanita Wells, um, who is ready to blow them out of the sky. Uh, and Mickey successfully talks them down. Although they do have a, a good point where she's like, oh, well, it's it's really an honor to meet you. However, it's unfortunate you're there because I'm still going to have to blow the ship up. Um, but Mickey shows that, hey, the guy actually, uh, he knows politics and he knows he knows his rhetoric. So he manages to convince them. Uh, and they, they land and head out and things don't particularly go well. Uh, Wells tells them to basically just get packing. Mickey turns out to be the one to make the appeal for humanity. And this this whole section kind of is is the Covenant War 2 electric boogaloo where the insurrection is like, well, that's your problem that you guys made, and I don't think that's really our issue, and we haven't been found, so what's the big deal? You guys fight your war against your crazy AIs. And they point out that, hey, this is kind of going to come to your doorstep. Anyhow, by the way, Oni has known about this place all the time, so you're hosed no matter what. And so basically they... They come up with a trade that they'd leave uh they'd leave Virgil and Sadie on the planet to try and figure out the cloaking tech and um basically use Mickey as collateral, which Mickey is once again not happy about, and Sadie is not happy about either because she was nearly killed by these people before. To move the timetable up, it's revealed that Leonidas survived. Bum, bum, bum. Which I had questions about considering that they shut down power and then they destroyed his crystal. But basically he piggybacks on uh, Gretchen and uh, Dutch's armor. I'm trying to remember back. I don't I don't think I expected it. Does every AI do this now? This is like the AI trick in every book. I, there's actually, in between this and Renegades, there's a lot of like bugs and sweeping for bugs in these. <laughs> Where you can hide bugs. Um but either way, Leonidas has let everybody know um, 
that the planet's here and that a guardian's coming imminently. Um, and so they decide that we probably shouldn't crush him again, even though it would really feel good. Um, so they stick him on a, a data pad where he can talk, and that's it. And they have to go back to the rebels and point out, oh, my bad, uh, but they're coming right now. <laughs> that's a, it's, it's a real unintentional, as it may be, a real dick move by them, like, yeah, we love them here. We're going to have to leave. Yeah, and I mean, it's they and they. I appreciate that Wells is like one hundred percent pissed off about everything and has every right to be, but it's also as as Dare points out, I'm like, well, what's done is done, so too bad. Well, it's kind of it's a kind of a lot like uh, the massacre at Eridanus Secundus, except this time we get to see the insurrectionists' reaction to being screwed over. Yeah, and I appreciate there's there's another. Um, Leonidas basically gets to advance Cortana's pitch to humanity and <laughs> they have an argument. And, uh, I like that, uh, basically they have his argument boils down to, well, everything will be great and you won't have war and yada, yada, yada. And what's the problem with pain? And you guys screw up everything anyhow. And channeling Star Trek five Shatner, they're basically like, well, I need my pain. Like my pain makes me human can't take that away from me that's our freedom it's our freedom to screw things up as much as we want and he's like okay well too bad guardian's coming you you also kind of killed the moon <laughs> yeah they don't they don't even particularly bring up the 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 tragic death cold but they like point out like this hasn't worked out so well so far um mm. so the guardian arrives and promptly pulses the planet and this is where they point out, oh, well, our weapons are still working out and our armor, because otherwise this would be a short book. Um, and so the plan is to uh, Virgil, because they've established that engineers can repair the damage done by the Pulse fairly quickly. Virgil is going to repair the transports, um, and they're going to fly, use the few fighters they have to basically distract them while the transports uh, escape. Because at this point, they can't do much except leave. Um, Not only... What, what, what is it? Like, the select key people they leave, like, they send the scientists out and, like, some other people? Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things about this is, once again, aside from Envoy, you usually don't get... I mean, they're insurrectionists, but a, a more civilian standpoint. And this has Wells, like, all right, well, we don't have enough room, so I'm going to have to choose who lives and dies, basically, or who lives and is subjugated to the rule of machines. Um, and I appreciate that it, it it spent time on that and how that was a hard, terrible choice. Um, at least you, at least you did it with like the thing of like, well, maybe the scientists can you know help screw them over or something. Like maybe she's like in the back of her mind, regardless of how likely it is, hoping that like her actions will eventually lead to them ultimately surviving. Yeah. And um, so everyone else basically has to hunker down and, and fight off the, the soldiers that start pouring in. Uh, Mickey gets some uh, Chinese knockoff Molinaire armor. Like it sounds like it was basically like ODST pieces with some powered armor aspects. That's too small for him since he's a Spartan sized. It's like Mjolnir spelled with a Y. <laughs> yeah. But I I laughed at that. It's obviously, I mean, especially considering how many companies were churning out like spec, speculative Mjolnir variants. You have to imagine a lot of that stuff ended up 
in the hands of the insurrectionist or whoever. Yeah. I mean, in, in Silent Storm, they had they were able to get the the um, schematics for the Mark IV in that too. Mm-hmm. So they've had it for a while. Yeah, it's probably if nothing else, the main obstacle was the stuff's super expensive. So even if you have the ability to capacity to know how to make it, you can't necessarily make it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, so like it's getting into a, well, the who lives or dies situation. And I appreciate also that they spend time. Mickey shows up and he's basically given like a hero's welcome uh, by all these insurrectionists. And it's him who basically stops the panic when people realize there's not enough lifeboats. I can't really, I can't really remember. Does, does Buck kind of get pissed off at how popular Mickey is with them? Yeah. And it, like, that's part of their recurring they, through this section. There's a lot of action, but there's a lot of banter between them back and forth about the nature of betrayal. And you're like, Oh, well you could have done this. That's bullshit. You wouldn't have let me do this. Blah, blah, blah. Um, which I shouldn't say blah, blah, blah. Cause it's interesting, but um, yeah. that's, I, I feel like the banter between Buck and Mickey, I mean, it's, you could, you could argue it feels a little contrived in some points, but I think for the most part, it does a good job of outlining, you know, their points and where they're coming from. Yeah. And I know. And I think it's, I, it does a good job, I think, because it makes them both right in that Mickey totally shouldn't have, a, shouldn't have betrayed his teammates. And that's a huge betrayal that obviously that Buck makes clear he's never going to get over. But, and I, and I know it's a, it's a really common thing in the fan to be like, fuck Mickey, you know, like everybody fucking hates him now. Uh, but like, I, and I mean, I don't disagree with that, but at the same time, like he's a really good illustration of people that grew up with the covenant as the only enemy. And now to find yourself yeah. fighting humans just seems stupid. And like, and as, see, at one yeah. point Buck says, well, you could just resign. He's like, are they really going to just like, let me go off with all this tech? And like, no, they wouldn't like decommission you or something terrible. They would need, need to need to pull a Randall with them. Yeah, I'm like, eh, who knows they do that. And then, I mean, he's he's the one who wants to stay. Like, no, I want to stay behind and fight for these people. And Buck basically has to convince him, like, well, we'll, we'll come back. Um, and so they decide, basically, with limited time, they're going to use Leonidas to sue for peace, basically. Um, and he manages to, to call off the Guardian uh, briefly. Uh-huh. And then they they send a little chunk of the Guardian comes over to to pick up the tablet with Leonidas on it. And then in a total dick move, they shoot it. (laughs) Romeo shoots it. I'm not going to feel that guilty about that. Yeah, I mean, sorry, but it's it's kind of funny that they're like, wait, we need to make sure we have the time to shoot this and like just be that much of an ass. And so basically the the few transports escape and the Condor with everybody, all our main characters escape. Um, and at one point they get clipped by, uh, one of the guardians weapons and Virgil basically has to fix it while they're in free fall and continuing a trend started with halo five buck keeps on falling out of aircraft. (laughs) He's really bad at nearly dying that way. Uh, He's really feels like he wants to jump into hell, but they end up, uh, Feet first, though. Feet first. But they end up uh, <laughs> basically making a human chain with Virgil and everybody, and which I thought was a nice touch back to... It kind of harkened back to the end of ODST. Um, everyone connected together. But the other, the other thing they had at, at this point is... Uh, the, throughout it, they've been talking about how Buck was happy not to lead anymore when he was in Osiris, and that Osiris was just nice to be in. 
Um, but even with the friction, he misses his team, um, which is where I think the people are like, oh, well, Buck won't be on Osiris or Osiris won't be back. Uh, because they, they successfully get back, head back to Infinity, um, and Buck basically vouches for Mickey. He's like, well, we need everyone in the fight we can, and yeah, I don't know what they're going to do once we defeat Cortana, but in the meantime, um, it's better to have him in the, the fight, and they have him as a liaison to the front. Yeah, I, I liked how they phrased that. I don't know exactly how he phrased it, but it was basically like, oh yeah, don't send him against humans. That would be stupid, but you can send him against robots all day. Yeah. And it's it's a nice realization that like he's yeah he's never going to forgive Mickey but he at least understands him and he's not he couldn't kill him back then he's not willing to lock him away or kill him now even though and I laughed that Palmer is gung ho to just kill him which totally fits in her character always itching yeah. to kill some political enemies yeah I did like uh. I did like that it basically highlighted like, yeah, the UNSC would never go for this, but now that we were completely fucked over, we kind of have no choice but to make a super big compromise on this just because he's too much of an asset. Yeah, and I think overall this book does a fair, fairly good job of making the Guardians feel like a credible threat without feeling insurmountable and also making the UNSC feel like it's on its back foot enough, yeah. not feeling like, it's, oh, it's, it's fine. It's it's a dimension to it that was missing from Halo Five that would yeah. wouldn't wouldn't have assuaged you know the problems with Halo Five but it would have helped a little. Yeah, I mean it was it's one of those things where they kind of had at the end where it's like well we just got to keep running but they they didn't really explore it much. Which I mean, according to the loot crates by early twenty five fifty nine they're all they're still just running. Yeah, which which is where the 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 time jump comes in I guess. Um, but in the meantime, everyone heads to the full moon bar. Uh, which is a nice thing. They actually, ex- I mean, they don't talk about it much. Uh, but yeah, Infinity is like a small city, and so you have the these Spartan bars uh, where everyone hangs out. Um, and Osiris is there, so we get a we get a catch up with uh, Locke and company. Uh, Buck introduces Mickey to Locke, and everyone gives him shit, which I appreciated. Um, deservedly so. <laughs> yeah, deservedly so. Um, and then. Uh, Dare and Buck resume their their talk about their their relationship, and so they decide in front of everybody to get married. And I, I felt kind of bummed that they didn't even call Lasky down. They just literally just get rolling to to sign some papers and do it for them. Yeah. I don't know where I read this. I think it might have been Forbeck's Twitter or somewhere. Um, I guess originally Blue Team was supposed to be in that scene, but uh, they decided either because they have a, had have them somewhere else in the story or something, but they just cut, cut them from that scene. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like that's probably hedging their bets. Like, what do we want to do with both team? If that changes at some point, we've got more room if they're just not mentioned. Um, uh-huh. they could, we could do a novel of them having some adventure off doing something. Um, and then that basically that's the end of the story because they, they wrap it up with Buck talking about, oh, and then we were on to the next adventure with Alpha 9, but that's another story. So overall, thoughts on this book? I thought it was pretty good. Like the the contrivances to bring everything together kind of got to me after a while, but I think they did enough with it that I was willing to let it slide. Um, And the writing, was, the writing was fun. I'm not a big action scene guy, so I appreciate the balance of it here with the talking and shooting. I don't know, my... 
my overall view of Forbeck is kind of still in flux. I really enjoyed New Blood a lot. I thought that was really good. But I read Legacy of Onyx, and I am not going to make any uh, secret about it. Legacy of Onyx is not my favorite Halo book. It's in my bottom three. All right, wait, 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 wait. For comparison, what are the other two down there? Uh, Mortal Dictata and The Flood. Hmm, interesting. So I'm sure I could talk to a lot of people about that, the <laughs> rankings of those. But I, Legacy of Onyx, in addition to you know some of its other problems, was it just it just was not written well like and i'm not talking about like the overall plot i'm talking sentence to sentence paragraph to paragraph and i was like was new blood a fluke is forbeck not necessarily a a great writer and i don't want to i don't mean to sound overly i I, i'm sorry if that sounds mean to him specifically but it's just how i feel about legacy of onyx's uh writing but i don't know something bad blood was written very well like i maybe it's just maybe it's just being able to write in buck's voice maybe i think it might also be yeah it's the question of writing for buck versus writing for a teen and that maybe it's just harder to get the voice down for the teen or he was trying to dumb it down a little that, um, that could definitely be it because in legacy of onyx as much as i dislike the whole book i actually really liked uh doral and Dama's sections quite a bit yeah um one one point that i thought was kind of weird about this book is that the rookie gets mentioned literally once only in passing. And it was kind of weird that they didn't bring him up more. Yeah, I guess I really want to rub salt in that one. Bro. <laughs> that was not uh, a nice thing in terms of people's reactions that everyone loved. And it was a great reaction from the fans. Everyone agreed with that decision. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I might be in the minority on that one, but we don't need to go into that. I mean, the, <laughs> the rookie was, basically a non-character so i didn't really care that much about it one way or another it was just weird that they did not mention him in terms of the toll of alpha 9 and stuff in this 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 might be a tangent but like i i agree with you the the rookie was a non-character pretty much just for odst they could have they could have done more with him if they decided to make him a character like they did with the master chief more in halo 4 but I, I also kind of liked that um, between that and, like, DeMarco dying in Escalation, it, it basically shows that, like, just because it's the EU and it's not a game doesn't necessarily mean that game characters are safe. Yeah. Now, obviously, obviously 343 isn't going to go around, go around killing every game character they have, but it's just kind of nice to know that there is no hard line. It's more of a case-by-case basis. Yeah, and that some people aren't. You have to have that, that feeling of some people people aren't safe even if in reality obviously the master chief is safe until steve downs doesn't want to do it and even then (laughs) who knows something something halsey's arm something something (laughs) i mean really i think they would be happy to let master chief's story end but they gotta manage to get a game without master chief i don't know why critical mass i don't know why they think that because like they've acknowledged back when before halo 4 came out I, I don't even remember if it was Frankie or somebody saying like, yeah, a lot of people will like, uh, they liked ODST and they liked Reach, but they missed the Master Chief, which, and they, even they they talk about like how the Master Chief in the first three games isn't as much of a character and more of a vessel for the player. But I mean, it seems like 343 kind of has known that for a long time, despite how Halo 5 played out. So I, I understand like they want to like expand the cast and scope of Halo's story, but I can't imagine they're eager to get rid of the Master Chief. I mean, they're they're definitely not eager. I think they just realize it's an eventuality if the franchise is going to continue on an infinite time scale, at least. Well, they're they're also building up like that Spartans can live a long time. So I I don't know. I have no idea what their plans are for that. Yeah, well, that was actually one of the 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 little points that they brought in here it was like Buck's talking about. Well, I'm 
I'm in my late 40s or whatever it is. And like with cryo included, I'm younger than that. But like, who knows how long I can last with all these augmentations? And like, am I really going to be doing this when I'm 80 or whatever? Um, which is interesting. You don't really hear that. And like, yeah, they're usually like, well, we might die tomorrow. He's like, well, what if I don't? And then, and then, like new blood is just like you could live forever, but we've never had a Spartan live that long. Yeah, it's just so. like oh, we don't know. It's kind of on the frontier. Who knows? Yeah. So overall, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I think it does, in terms of stories that have to serve a larger purpose to the plots. Um, I think this one does it a lot more successfully than stuff like uh, Thursday War, in that it's really yeah. only the first like fifth of the book. And then they move on, and it's really this story about Buck and his team versus trying to feel like it was getting dominated by what we have to hit. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm interested in seeing. I don't think as of now we don't have anything on the calendar for Matt Forbeck in the future in the Halo universe, but I'm sure we'll probably see him again. And we don't have any other than the next uh, the sequel to Battleborn. We don't have that many books on the horizon at the moment. Yeah, which. I would say, oh, that means that's slacking off again, except it didn't feel like we had that much on the horizon in 2017 and 2018, and then a whole bunch of stuff came out too. So, uh, if, if only they were expecting to show us some kind of game this year. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Infinite's a 2020 game. Oh, it, I can't believe it. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even hazarded that being the possibility two years ago, but it's definitely 2020. I'm, I'm, I'm certain. I'm certain it's a cross-gen title. It, it has to yeah. be. It, it, it very well could be, especially with those rumors going around. If it's if it's pushing to cross gen, that means a delay. You know what I mean? It will be coming out this year if it's cross gen. I know they. Uh, no, well, no, I don't know. They've they talked a lot about in Bon. They just had that IGN interview with uh, Bonnie Ross, and they said that one of the reasons Infinite is taking so long is because they had to rework the tools for four and five's engine. Uh, and because they're trying to avoid uh, the crunch that those games experienced. Well, they say that every time they make a new Halo game, oh, we're, we're well, redoing the engine with the, this time. With the actual mm-hmm. branding of the Slow Space engine, I think it's more... I mean, that's the thing. It's never, it's never ever a totally new engine. It's right. just the ship of Theseus That's what makes me wonder why they copyrighted it. Like, why did they go... I mean, I think, feel like they're probably gonna, they probably want to use it for other stuff, and that they're using Infinite as the chance to like resolve a whole lot of technical debt that they've accumulated, bootstrapping things on top of things on top of things. Um, and I, I think that the time they're taking with it is the only reason I don't think that it's completely like corporate bluster or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've overhauled things over the time, but you're always overhauling it on the same thing. So you have to clear out and break a whole bunch of stuff if you want to really make a substantial difference. So I think they're probably doing that. And I mean, I, hope I do have more. So. I do have more thoughts on Infinite, but I think you should shelf them for another time. Well, we will see once we actually have something more than a trailer and speculation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Def. Oh, no problem. My pleasure. Anything you pl- want to plug while you're here? You talked oh, about the uh, the timeline. Oh, I'm a. I'm still a moderator on the Halo Halo Story and Halo Wars subreddits. Uh, I'm helping. After Bang, uh, who's the moder- one of the moderators of the Halo subreddit and the other moderator of uh, the Halo Story subreddit, with his timeline, I've been adding several books to it. Um, doesn't have Battleborn or Renegades yet, but hopefully will within a month, maybe. Okay. We'll see. That's great. I don't and we'll put a link in the show notes to that so people can check it out. 
Um, you can check out the show notes for this episode at uh, forwarduntodon.com slash FUDcast27. And while you're there, you can check out old episodes, articles on the site. And we've got some new content coming soon, too. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, follow us on Twitter and YouTube using the handle Forward Dawn. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.